Equal footing. Good evening. I'm Dove Tuzman. Tonight's show is about politics and morality. The problem of David is what we're calling it. That's a biblical reference. We'll get into that in a minute. The problem of David. Do our political leaders need to be moral leaders? I am graced by three fantastic guests tonight. We are going to hash this out. I want to, before introducing these esteemed gentlemen, acknowledge that here we are, four men on the program talking about this issue, which is, you know, not ideal. It would have been better to have gender balance here. We also don't have representation, obviously, from all faiths. There's only so much we can do in, in an hour segment. It would have been great to have someone on from Islam and uh, from the Hindu faith, but we have three great global faiths represented. On the call here on the show is Daigi Thomas Stab. Good evening, Tom. Daigi Thomas is a respected academic and Zen Buddhist. After graduating from Harvard University in 1995, he started his career in corporate America at Procter & Gamble, but soon found it bereft of meaning and was impelled to dedicate more of his life to the spiritual path. In 2003, he met his Zen teacher, and ever since he has been a member of the Zen Study Society of New York and is a Rinzai layman in the samurai tradition of Zen Buddhism. Since 2007, Daigi Tom Stab has taught, high, has taught high school world history and world religions at prestigious secondary institutions such as Dwight School in New York City and St. Andrew's School in Boca Raton, Florida, which is where he resides. Welcome, Daigi Stab. Thank you. We also have with us this evening Rabbi Joseph Isaac Korf. And Rabbi Korf has been teaching Talmudic studies and Jewish law since the late 1980s. He attended yeshiva and rabbinical school in the New York area with a year in Israel. Since 1990, Rabbi Korf has been the Chabad Lubavitch emissary in Hollywood, Florida, where he's the spiritual leader of the Hollywood Community Synagogue. Rabbi Korf works with non-Jews as well as Jews. He teaches the seven universal Nohide laws and fosters close relationships with seekers from all faiths. Rabbi Korf also has five grandchildren and with God's help, a sixth on the way. Welcome, Rabbi Korf. Thank you. Also on with us this evening is the Reverend Dr. David Taylor. Reverend Taylor has been a chaplain for 29 years. He's a native of Vero Beach, Florida. He grew up in a Southern Baptist and evangelical home. Reverend Taylor earned his Master's of Divinity from the Southern Theological Seminary, a Master's of Religious Studies from the University of Cape Town in South Africa, and he earned his doctorate from the Virginia Episcopal Seminary. He's an Episcopalian chaplain. During Reverend Taylor's time in South Africa, he was on a Rotary scholarship, and he interned with the Nobel Peace Prize laureate Desmond Tutu, Bishop Tutu. Reverend Taylor has served as a chaplain also to major and minor league baseball teams, which I found fascinating. I'm a baseball lover. Veterans hospitals, retirement communities, prisons, and numerous academic institutions. Welcome, Reverend Taylor. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. I love that all three of you 
Daigi Stab, Rabbi Korf, Reverend Taylor, you guys are all in the battleground political the, ba- the political bag- battleground of Florida, particularly South Florida, uh, that may determine the election just a few days out. So we're not going to be shy tonight about addressing the intersection of politics and faith. We did a little bit of this last week, particularly in the relationship between the Jewish community and Donald Trump. But here we're going to broaden the lens and talk about the trouble, the troubled relationship we have around character in the White House, character in in office. And, and the reason why tonight's show is called The Problem of David is that in the books of Samuel, in the Abrahamic faiths and, and Daigi Stab, I know in the Buddhist faith, the, 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 the biblical reference isn't, uh, isn't obviously directly relevant. But in the Abrahamic faiths, the books of Samuel refer to an important period in the history of the Israelites. And in particular, it refers to a few folks, a prophet Samuel, a King Saul, and a King David. And King Saul is the first kind of unifying king that the prophet Samuel prophesizes will, will, will come for the Israelite uh, people. He wins a number of, of important battles. He's tall. He's good-looking. He comes from a great family. Uh, or an important family, sound, sound like someone on the, on the national stage here right now. He's like the perfect candidate to be the first king of, of Israel. But he's ultimately undone. He's arrogant. He is uh, jealous of, of, of others. He ultimately goes mad. He's not clearly the anointed king. Then along comes in the books of Samuel David, and David is from the outside seems the most unlikely future king he's a shepherd boy he's a songwriter he's kind of a romantic guy comes from nothing but as many of us know he then you know defeats goliath he he wins great battles and he ultimately conquers jerusalem renames it zion kind of it, it, he he is um one of the great patriarchs in the Jewish faith and the, in, in, in also in Christianity and, and recognized in Islam as well. And his character is really complex. David's, David is uh, also undone, but he's more complicated than Saul. He's clearly got major moral failings. There's the, primarily the story of Bathsheba, this, this woman he sees bathing on a rooftop who is actually married to one of the top soldiers in his army. He uh, seduces her. He uh, impregnates her. He tries to cover it up by having uh, her husband, uh, Uriah, come back so it looked like maybe the, the, son isn't his, the child is not his. And then he ultimately assassinates the, the, the husband of the, of the woman that he's seduced. It's just an awful, awful story. And as a consequence... He, the house of David is, is completely disrupted and falls apart. His son ends up sexually abusing his daughter, his daughter. Another son kills one of his, it's just a horrible story. But yet David is exalted in, in the Judeo Christian traditions. And in, he is considered the line, it's the line of David from which, you know, there'll be this eternal kingdom. And so, Let's start with you, Reverend Taylor, because this has always bothered me. <laughs> this, there's the, we, we exalt David 
and growing up as a Jew, David is is considered one of the great patriarchs. And at the same time, you can see in black and white that 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 the guy is deeply troubled. He does repent. He does get you know forgiven by God. But how can we put on a pedestal a leader that is so deeply flawed? I think it's an excellent question, and I think you had a key point in um, in his story, that in the arc of the story, especially in Psalm 51, we have a representation where King David uh, truly and humbly repents. And so because of his humble repentance, um, I think that that goes a long way in the complexity of the character. Uh, you know, I think back, you know, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. That David is torn and conflicted by his own sin. And so he's truly asking for repentance and willing to face the consequences so that he can help others through the struggle. And I, and I think that that's a real major point in how uh, Jews and Christians look at David as someone who has learned from the horror of his mistakes and sins in order to move forward. That's the part, that's the complexity, I guess, that is, the, that is redeeming. R- Rabbi Korf, where does David fit in in the Jewish tradition? And is there some, is there some tie-in, to put it bluntly, around the Jewish communities, the observant Jewish communities, forgiveness of Donald Trump's moral failings because of this this complex character of David that we have in our tradition? So um, for me to address this, and I don't know how much time I have, I would have to first uh, correct some of your descriptions pertaining to Saul and pertaining to David. Correct me, please. Which, yes, which, which in Jewish tradition is not exactly the way you narrated it. Uh, since we have a very short amount of time, let me just say it like this. The huge difference between Saul and David was not that Saul... Saul was, came from a very important family. It says he stood head and shoulders above everybody else, and in the Jewish tradition that was not only physical, that was spiritual as well. Saul is considered a prophet. However... There was one major thing lacking in Saul's character, which is what brought him down, and that is the lack of leadership. He could not stand by his conviction, and he could not follow the dictates given to him by Samuel, the prophet, in the name of the Lord. Particularly, and most importantly, we find this in the famous commandment that Samuel gave him, when they fought the nation of Amalek, and Amalek is considered the bit, most bitterest enemy of the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And when God told Samuel to command David to utterly wipe them out, so much so that even all their animals were commanded to be wiped out on the battlefield, that, that was one little major thing that Saul did not fulfill. He brought those animals back to town and waited in order to sacrifice them in thanksgiving to God. So let me and get this what, let me get this straight rabbi and 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 we're going to bring in the buddhist perspective uh, the, we need we need some zen around all this this dramatic storyline. Am I to understand correctly that David is the more devoted king? Not it, no 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 no. It's not so much who is more devoted. Saul was a great and righteous man. 
but he lacked the ability to lead. And he tells Samuel that it was the people who convinced me to do what I'm doing, even though it went against Samuel's explicit commandment. That means he wasn't a leader, he was a follower. Got it. As okay. such, he lost his kingship. So Forever. that's at the essence of what this show is about. And David, the, the, David, however, David, however, was also a righteous man, but he had something Saul didn't. Mm. And that was the ability to lead to the exclusion of all else, even even if it was uncomfortable for him, even if it was difficult for him, but he knew how to lead and stand strong. And there's a famous example of this, that in one of his wars against uh, Abner, the general of, uh, Saul, of that time already, the son of Saul, when he was, was lacking water, and he asked one of his generals to bring him the water, to, I mean, he was complaining to one of his generals that he didn't have any water, he took it upon himself to go get him water at great danger to himself. When he brought back that water, David spilled it out and says he won't drink the blood, the water that was connected to blood, meaning to the fact that he put his life in danger to bring David water. And David then excoriated him for doing that. Here is a guy who went on self-sacrifice to bring his king water. Not only did David not thank him, he admonished him for doing that. And that General still remained loyal to David. No question, Rabbi, pardon the interruption, no question David is a bold leader. And to get into this discussion about the problem of David, the connection between morality and leadership, obviously apropos to the election on Tuesday, call 718-303-9090. We're taking live calls, 718-303-9090. If you're shy about being on the air, you can also text a question at 917-428-428. 4062. That's 917-428-4062. Stab, in the in the Buddhist tradition, particularly in the Zen Buddhist tradition, is a bold leader that may or may not have a moral compass. I'm not saying David doesn't, clearly complex, but is is bold leadership enough if the per, the kind of the the end is right do the do the means justify does the end justify the means in the zen buddhist tradition or must the bold leader also be morally pure it's a slippery slope uh i would say um by all means um with every breath a buddhist leader needs to maintain uh a sense of compassion for the world uh to hear this this debate because the belief systems are so very different um, and the core value of Buddhism is that our experience of separateness is an illusion mm-hmm. there are no meaningful uh, separations between human beings and and nature and to say it in like a quasi scientific sense we are in constant interchange with the air and water particles around us. We are in constant dependence with the food sources and all the human beings connected to our food sources. Um, and in another, you know, quasi-scientific sense, we, we don't retain the same cells in our body, you know, after seven years. And so, um, you know, this notion that that we're separate is, is the grand illusion. We are in a state of interdependence with every living thing. And we also emphasize you know, presence in, in the moment. So we, we, we first and foremost, you know, 
fight anger within ourselves. We never, uh, never would act in anger. And so I think, you know, these are very different issues. I think secular leadership is an important consideration, and that's a, a, another matter. But um, when it comes to the Buddhist perspective, um, with every breath is an opportunity to experience or express enlightenment. And with every breath, um, you could easily slide from that. And I think the question about ends justifying the means, absolutely not. And I think my final thought on this is I think um, karma is uh, an aspect of the Buddhist tradition that is most well understood by Westerners. I think uh, we in the West kind of get it. You know, what goes around comes around. And, you know, we Buddhists um, hold that dear, and maybe not in quite the same way that Hindus do, um, but absolutely any misstep along the way uh, is is likely to to you know to come back around and and, and bite us. <laughs> so um, I I see lots of problems with the the um, that is a different the narrative. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's just a a, a, a very different perspective. Um, so I. Um, well, to your point, to your point, Dougie Stabin, I want to I want to get the go go back to the Christian perspective here for a moment because I didn't realize actually the subtleties. Thank you, Rabbi Korf, around the differences between the Jewish and the Christian interpretation of books of Samuel. That was very interesting, Reverend Taylor. The one of the issues on the table here, maybe the primary issue, is the boldness and efficacy of leadership of David versus the losing your way as, as, as Daigi Stabin has referred to. And, and I don't think even in the most charitable interpretation of, of King David's life in the Bible, could you make the claim that he didn't severely lose his way in seducing the wife of a, of a married man that was serving him and then having him assassinated is, is David redeemable? Is, is the king or the president or the elected official who has completely lost his or her way, who has, maybe is in the throes of losing, uh, being lost, redeemable, and even more so, should we vote for them? Uh, I think in answering the question theologically, uh, you know, in Christianity, I think one of the, the easiest things to, to look at is the concept of grace. Uh, God's riches that are exposed out for everyone. And the, Jesus' story of the prodigal son, I see through this is a great point, is regardless of our sins, we're all redeemable to come back to the Father. And I think that that's a key point. And various aspects of Christianity will look at this, especially in looking at the presidential election. And, like, for example, over 80, over 80% of American evangelicals voted for Trump last year, and will probably close to do that again. And so That's when amazing. you see that such a high voting block, and the line that comes resonating, and this is from Pew Research this week, is that they're looking for a president, not a pastor. So I think that there are religious people who will make religious distinctions. As I'm, looking, I'm not looking for someone to be a Sunday school teacher. I'm not looking for a confirmation sponsor. I'm looking for someone to lead. And as a result, I think that there are Christians on both sides of the political spectrum that either embrace or negate um, the president's leadership style. Reverend Taylor, we're, that, that we're going to 
come back to that in a moment. We're going to take a quick break. Please call and join in our conversation about the intersection of morality and political leadership, the problem of David. We have Daigi Thomas Stab, a Zen Buddhist on the line. We have Reverend the Reverend Dr. David Taylor as an Episcopalian uh, chaplain. We have Rabbi Joseph Isaac Korf, who's a Chabad Lubavitch emissary in Florida. We will be right back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tuzman. This is Equal Footing. Tonight's program is brought to you by Mechanical Arts Capital. Mechanical Art Capital offers financing to watch collectors and watch dealers from anywhere in the world. Unlock the cash value of your watch collection or inventory through Mechanical Art Capital's guaranteed buyback contracts. For more information, call 833-209-0972. That's 833-209-0972. Operators are standing by. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on Okay, we're back on equal footing. I'm Dove Tuzman. Our guest is Daigi Thomas Stab, the Reverend Dr. David Taylor, Rabbi Joseph Isaac Korf. Okay, Trump, even his most ardent supporters would acknowledge that he is a deeply morally flawed person. But to your point right before the break, Reverend Taylor, he, we're not... We're not voting for pastors or rabbis. We're, we're voting for political leaders, and he's bold. And as you said, he garners 75% up you know, and, and up support from the evangelical vote. I think it's probably similar in the observant Jewish vote because of decisions in the judici- judiciary and, and other you know hot-button issues around uh, Israel, around uh, a woman's right to an abortion, uh, etc. Rabbi Korf... Give I I would bet that your congregation in Hollywood, you correct me if I'm wrong, is probably predominantly a pro-Trump congregation. Do you what happens when the question comes up of let's put aside Hilul Hashem and issues of, of appearance of supporting that I think both observant Jews and evangelical Christians need to confront around how it looks to be supporting um someone with the with these serious character flaws but how do you deal with the kind of spiritual struggle do you have congregants congregants that have the spiritual struggle around supporting a deeply morally flawed individual rabbi core if we still have you i'm sorry i'm sorry i had it on mute uh I, I don't, first of all, as a Chabad shliach or emissary, we don't take polls or endorse political uh, um, sides. Uh, never do I ask anybody in my congregation where they're, who they're voting for, nor do I uh, attempt to convince anybody. Not my business, and I don't try to convince anybody of who, for who to vote for. Do people know who I will vote for myself? Uh, most probably they'll do. They do. I don't go you know, talking about it, but the reason why they do is, and this goes back a little bit to our discussion about a deeply flawed character, um, everybody has that same deeply flawed character. It's just the way you have the media or the political 
establishment today. Well, I mean, hang on, hang on, Rabbi. I'm going to interrupt you there because you yourself said there were there were significant differences between Saul and David, and so there is an absolute equivalency. So of course we're all flawed. If I could finish my point, we're all benoni, right? We're all in betweeners. We all have good aspects and bad aspects in our being, but that doesn't mean ipso facto there's equivalence. So I think that you know it's it's reasonable, and and I've never said on the show who I'm supporting, and I think I would surprise many with who, but I don't. I, I think it's not intellectually honest for us to say there's equivalence between the moral failings of Trump, for example, and the moral failings of Biden. So, so let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Let's put the question back at you. Um, I, I since you seem, or many in today's society seem to ascribe great moral failings to Donald Trump, I want to ask you, tell me one example of his moral failings, and then I'll tell you an example of Obama or Biden's moral failings, and let's discuss and see who has the worst moral failings if we're going to have that kind of a discussion. I don't think that should be the discussion. Like you said, and which I didn't have really time to get into it, we can discuss who had greater moral failings, David or Saul. To a certain extent, you can say David had more, had worse moral failings, but David was a greater leader. A greater leader doesn't mean you do, you lead for the sake, for the means being being what's good for that the end is what's necessary. A good leader is that who takes care, defends, and takes care of his people, his nation. I love the, was, I, I love the question. I, I, you didn't give me a chance to answer it. First of all, of uh, I would raise my hand and say I have the greatest moral failings, and that's that's not okay, false humility. I, 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 I mean that in terms of I know and I, what and I, I can, and I can challenge you and say that I have right, but that's not the but that's not the point. It is the point, I think, in the sense that, and 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 I think that where there's a shared thread here between Daggy Stab's comments and and Reverend Taylor's comments has to do with the importance of humility, and maybe this is more of a Christian than a Jewish reading of of the of the Bible, but. It's often said that David is the better leader, not because he's more effective in the battlefield, because he actually really does have to rely on others. He loses some important battles. He he, when he's back in the throne at the end, he's kind of a broken man, but because he's humble, he 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 repents. He goes back and has a dialogue, you know, with with the God of his understanding around his failings. Saul doesn't really do that. So, I would say, in a certain sense, that. The, the aspect of humility is when you ask me the direct question about like pointing to, and I don't, I don't think getting to a tit for tat around the uh, moral failings of each politician is really going to be helpful. But the overall point is a great one, and I think it's his lack of humility. I think his greatest failing is, is his lack of ability to address to address his own failings. Okay, so that is so that is moral failing. So you know what? I, I'm not. I can. I can tell you, the same thing applies to 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 Biden, to Obama. I, but I don't want to get into that tip for tat. I'm not here to decide who has a greater moral failing, and that's perhaps part of the problem we have in today's society that we have decided, based on pop culture, to who is the one that has the greater moral failing, and therefore let's not vote for him. You know what? To me, as a Jew, to be quite honest with you. As the Ma'at Mikol Ha'amim, the fewest of all the people, my most important charge is to ensure my and my people's uh, um, existence. To make sure that there is nothing existential 
and that there is nothing that is here that is going to pre- present a danger to my people. Okay. I see one. Okay, I, I, I hear that. I, I, I hear that, Rabbi. So, so Dagestab, what, what we're hearing here is that the the ends do justify the means to some degree, and who are we to you know throw uh, you know throw stones at, uh, at glass houses and 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 there is there is there's no way to judge really the inside the heart of a, a the soul of a woman or a man the the their their moral failings and compare compare them is that is that resonant with the, the I, Buddhist tradition? Can I just tradition? interject one second? Let, let, I, I, I want to hear from the Eastern, the Eastern perspective you for mis- a moment. You, right? misinterpreted my, you misinterpreted my statement. Did I? I didn't say the end justify the means. That's not what I said. Because I don't believe the president has a right to transgress or trespass laws to, uh, to arrive at his goal. That's not what I said. Okay. I just said that to be a good leader, to me is making sure that my people, and, that, and in a broader sense, the American people, will thrive, exist, and, ha- and be assured of uh, uh, their existence uh, in this world and not be destroyed. Okay, that's an interesting nuance. I mean, I think it still goes down to that single issue. But, Dagestab, what, what is the... I, I, to some extent, I'm going back to the, the question earlier, but is there some leeway in, in the Eastern traditions around... You know, character. If it's serving an ultimately, let's call it, venerable purpose, is there leeway? Yeah. What What's the purpose? I mean, I want to pick up, uh, you know, the, the rabbi's comments that you know he admires uh, leaders who who really take care of of their people, and I certainly admire secular leadership. And I I think you know, there's um, you know, I think we can really see when. A leader, you know, takes care of people. Um, but the Buddhist perspective, with respect, Rabbi, there is no human on earth that is not your people. We are all human beings. We are all in a state of interconnectedness, and there's no there's no meaningful division between human beings. And so, when it comes to you know our our current you know political climate. You know, I, I I would concede that that no one's perfect, and and to, to Reverend Taylor's point, we're not necessarily looking for um, you, know, you know pure spiritual beings as our political leaders. However, I would I would argue that the degree to which Trump has been uh, divisive, or just you know from my own you know perspective, I've, I I I think it's interesting to to note that he has never tried to. Uh, uh, entire American people. I mean, he's really pursued the primary strategy and proved that a president can win once that way. Uh, every other, you know, presidential candidate has um, has has shifted after the primary to uh, you know approach to the to the the general trying to appeal to all the American people. I would argue that Trump has been um, the 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 the. the, the use the narrowest definition of who his people are. And I think that's the grandest illusion. There is no one who is not your people. And I think that can be applied to the, the national stage. There's no American president who shouldn't see that all Americans are his people, but also to a global stage. If you don't see your common humanity with other nations, you will run into trouble. And we will have a, a, a safer path in the world if we recognize our joint humanity. And 
do away with this notion of division or thinking that there's any uh, any group of people other than the entire human family. Reverend Taylor, do you, do you agree? I'm I'm not a Christian, but my understanding is that there is also in the Christian faith a very stark division between those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and those who haven't, and those who haven't are damned forever. So this, I, I love the perspective that we're hearing from Daigi Stab around universality, but is that really part of the Judeo-Christian ethos? It, it is, uh, and I'll give it with a caveat. There's, a, there's, a, there's an old joke that there's three uh, universal truths: is that Jews may not recognize Jesus as the Messiah, Protestants may not recognize the Pope as leader of Christianity, and the Baptists won't recognize each other in the liquor store. So, when you look at when you look at that, there is such a high degree in, in evangelical circles, for example, you will find conservative evangelicals who will be highly autonomously in support of the nation of Israel. 100%. And that will be a political statement. Now, privately, they would say, oh, I wish they would accept Jesus as their Savior because I don't want them to die and go to hell, but I'm going to support Israel because there's a biblical mandate to do that. So there's a, there is a bit of a duplicitous attitude in some aspects of Christianity. There are other universal aspects that are, I'm okay, you're okay. And the Episcopal Church is one of those, the way of love, we're all equal, we can all make it in. Uh, God is a fair, just, and loving God. And there doesn't have to be um, that kind of division that is apparent in some branches of Christianity. So we're, we're going to take a, a caller in a second here, but Reverend Taylor, just to flesh that out for a second, do you, do you feel uncomfortable? And I know you're not an evangelical, you're an Episcopalian, and you're, you've articulated right. the, the difference there, but do you feel uncomfortable when you watch on TV, for example, a prominent leader in the evangelical community declare, you know, unwavering, unabashed support for President Trump? Or do you kind of say, you know what, I get where they're coming from. Maybe they're not saying it in exactly the right way, but I'm okay with it. Well, I'll give you one example. I'll give you one example, uh, Dove, that I do disagree with, and that's Jim Baker, famed television evangelist from the 80s and the PTL Club. He now has a TV show that uh, he was selling coins with Donald Trump's portrait, along with Cyrus the Great, comparing him to be the king of Daniel's time, who was doing great things. And for $40 or $50 gift, you could get this coin equating Cyrus the Great to Donald Trump. I would suggest to you that there might be a cross-purpose of core values within that, um, in looking at theology as opposed to economics. But I do understand why people will do that within Christianity, specifically in the evangelical movement. I don't under, I may not agree with it, but I'm still called to love those individuals in that same common humanity that Daggy Stab was, was uh, perpetuating, that there's still uh, the call to love and to accept, even though you disagree. With all yeah, that last statement is really what this show is about, is, is listening to each other's different perspectives being open to disagreement and and still having love and respect. Stan, you're on the air. Help us out. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I'm kidding. How are you? Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. Okay, uh, let's go down memory lane. John F. Kennedy, William Jefferson Clinton, Donald Trump, Franklin Roosevelt. Franklin Roosevelt was having a little dance with Lucy Mercer. The country didn't know about it, yet 
Franklin Roosevelt ranks as one of the great presidents of the United States. Many people knew it, but looked the other way. Mm-hmm. John F. Kennedy. John F. Kennedy was a great, pretty decent president, didn't live long enough to do more, but had dalances and so forth with women while he was president and when he was not president. Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody knew about it, the press, and looked the other way. He, he didn't, he didn't. to be fair, you know, kill the husbands of... The no, 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 none of them, no, of course, but... Which, my, which, which David in the Bible did. Well, well, but in the end, David got on his knees at the altar uh, of yes. the Ark of the Covenant and That's said, right. forgive me for my sins. He repented, yeah. No, well, you know, I watched the movie, Gregory Peck, David and Bathsheba, and he David gets Bathsheba. on his knees, absolutely great, and he gets on his knees and says, ah, forgive me, I have sinned against you. Forgive me for all that, you know, whatever. But well, let's keep going on. And now we get to William Jefferson Clinton, who actually threw it in our faces and had a nice young Jewish girl, <laughs> God, and uh, had a relationship with her, and that went to court and landed to the impeachment of William Jefferson Clinton. He was impeached for that reason and that reason alone for lying about it. And the United States Senate, which, thank God, were all Democrats, voted him, in, uh, you know, uh, not guilty or uh, whatever. But the American people looked the other way. Big time, they reelected him. So what is, now we come to Donald Trump. Yeah, get, get, I'll get quick. Get Donald the Trump. And here's the punchline. The rabbi and the Orthodox community. And maybe some of the far right, as the gentleman had said before, are looking the other way. They don't, their, faith, their faith in their own religion is being tested. They really are hypocrites to some extent, because as long as we get ours, and you know Israel survives, which is important, to be honest with you, isn't Israel right now, I'm a Jew, isn't that important to me? Survival of this country is important, and the laws which have been broken by this president. We're not, we, on the other side, are not looking the other way, but many do look the other way. Stan, I, and that's I, the point. You know, I appreciate your candor. Always a pleasure to see you, Have a great weekend. Thank you. You too, Rabbi Corp. How do you respond to that? Are are we? And I'll put myself in in that group with you. I'm on the spectrum of of being an observant Jew. And are we looking the other way with Donald Trump? Uh, first of all, if he looks the other way. Why don't I have the right to look the other way? Uh, Donald Trump's not my parishioner. He's not my member. He's not even Jewish. Why am I going to sit in judgment of him and what he's done in his life so long as he's a good leader? So all the other presidents, we look the other way. All of a sudden, we're demanding morality from Donald Trump. Number two, quite frankly, I don't know what he's done wrong in morality while he's been president. Has he made mistakes before he became president? Possibly. I don't know. But since he became president, JFK did all these things while he was president. Uh, FDR did all of these things while he was president, and so did William Jefferson Clinton do all of these things while he was president. I have heard of no immorality being done by Donald Trump while he's been president. Rabbi, can, I, can, we go, can we go back to the, the issue of, uh, of humility? And I'm, I want, I'm curious, Reverend Taylor's edified us on the Christian perspective. In the, in the Jewish reading of David and Saul in the book, books of Samuel, is David's repentance, is David's occasional, by the way, not all the time, but occasional humility, 
and asking for forgiveness from the God of his understanding. Is that an important part of who David is as a leader, or is it less important in the Jewish tradition than it is? I'm glad you asked that. I'm glad you asked that. Repentance has been thrown around here, and that's great. David says in Psalms, the chatati negdi tamid, my sin stands before me always. You know what he means by that? In truth, in the Jewish religion, there is no such a thing as begging God for forgiveness for having either committed adultery with another woman, a married woman, or, as some like to say, that he assassinated her husband. And that's a whole different story. We don't have the time to get into that. But suffice it to say, begging God for forgiveness for those sins is not acceptable in Judaism. You can only ask God for forgiveness for sins that you did to God. To a human being, no forgiveness can be given unless that human being forgives you. Mm. Now, here he did supposedly two things which in his mind made him realize that he did a terrible thing. And that is where the secret is. The secret of King David's humility is not that he sought excuses, not that he used different forms of media to try to run away from his mistakes or try to cover it over. He made it clear the whole time that my sin is in front of me. He lived with that constant lesson, and that's what keeps him away from sin in the future. That's, That's a, a very different reading that I that I understood. I'm glad I asked the question. We're going to be right back after the break. We're going to get to some text questions. Specifically, there's a question from a practicing Buddhist. There's also a question for, for you, uh, Reverend Taylor. We'll be right back on equal footing. Stay tuned. Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. All right, you're back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tuzman. Our number is 718-303-9090 to get in on the conversation of the problem of David. Do our political leaders need to be moral leaders? You can also text a question at 917-428-4062. We've got a couple of text questions. We have Re- the Reverend Dr. David Taylor, an Episcopalian chaplain. We have Daigi Thomas Stab, a Zen Buddhist practitioner. And we have the Rabbi Joseph Isaac Korf, who's a Chabad Lubavitch emissary in Florida. Daigi Stab, you are getting a shout out from John G. in Manhattan. 
His question is, I am a practicing Buddhist, and it is my understanding that, fo- that focus on politics is fundamentally a trap. Am I wrong? That's tough to answer. Yeah, there's a lot of ambition part of the Buddhist community uh, to engage in, in politics. Um, so I, I'd like to say, you know, we claim agnosticism uh, when it comes to political engagement. And uh, that said, there is a movement within Buddhism um, that does advocate for some uh, political engagement. And that tradition was really begun by Thich Nhat Hanh. Um, back in the late 60s in his opposition to the Vietnam War, and uh, he was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize by Martin Luther King as a consequence. So there, there is some uh, tradition in the modern world of, of Buddhist engagement with politics, and, and yet we do so very cautiously. And I think to kind of pick up some of the themes of this, this conversation is that, um, you know, as I... As I stated, the, the, the sense of interbeing is central to the Buddhist perspective, that we are all, uh, we, we are all one both with, with the natural world and, and the totality of humanity. And um, you know, the, the grand illusion is uh, separateness. And you know, I guess to take that a bit further is um, the, the, the kind of worst evidence of a lack of wisdom is egotism. So to be highly egotistical is to be further and further from the truth. Uh, to think that you matter more than any other aspect of life um, is getting deeper into the grand delusion. So you might anticipate you know, where I'm going with this. I think when it comes to our political leadership, you know, I think the, the heartfelt litmus test is, is which, leader, which leader is, is operating from a basis of, of egolessness. Well, you, no one's perfect. Daggy Stab, you couldn't have given me a, an easier segue for the following text question from Wayne in Jeffersonville. This question is directed at you, Reverend Taylor. Wayne asks, isn't the primary way of Christ compassion? Isn't it as simple, really, as voting for the most compassionate candidate? Reverend Taylor, do you ask yourself who Christ would vote for? Thank you for taking my question. I- that is, uh, that is an excellent question, Wayne. And again, as a, on a personal basis as a Christian, uh, there is the much cliched, but I think often true, what would Jesus do? Um, idea of how would, uh, Jesus work in a political situation. And, and I think that for many people, um, within the spectrum of Christian faith, there are many people who will see, um, life issues, right-to-life issues, abortion, as, uh, mm-hmm. as a single issue that they will vote on. I think that there will be some to be supportive Israel, the judiciary. I think that um, I, I personally can see the idea of looking at compassion on the other end of the spectrum, where you have the idea of immigration and the, the concept of children in cages. And there's no way that I think that the central tenets of Christianity would want that to happen. Um, whereas it could be argued as the consequences of adult action. But I, I think that you're on a very key point of personal reflection, and that is to try to think about what is the most compassionate link, which with my friend Daggy Stab, I would say, links us with many, many other traditions and faith in looking to find compassion as being the motivation, love being the way to move us through a process, though it may be difficult. So 
we're going to take I, I love that link between east and west and as as a jew i always wonder how to address this this question of compassion at the top of the spiritual food chain so i want to come back to that but for the moment i think we're going to take a call from naftali in queens hello yep you're you're on the air oh okay great thank you for taking my i'm call. sorry i got I'm... your call i got your name wrong it's jimmy right yeah. Sorry, Jimmy. Yeah. It well, showed up on my screen, another caller. I apologize. It, it's Jimmy B. It's okay. Um, basically, as a, I was raised as an Episcopalian, and, and, I, and I was raised in Queens, New York. And, uh, um, so I'm glad you have a, a representative there. Um, and you just were mentioning Jesus. But the thing, my thing is, is this. Just like a company where the employees represent the, or reflect the personality of the CEO, so goes a nation or a country reflecting the, the personality and the moral compass of the, uh, of the president. And, you know, right. um, some of it depends upon your education, and some of it depends upon your religious or a combination of the two. And I will say that we've seen a decrease in civility in our society based upon the last four years and the style of the current occupant of the White House. Uh, JFK, to me, was the best president of my lifetime, even though he was cut short. I was a young man at that time. And uh, in, terms of, in terms of style and, and bringing and, and what a vision and being a visionary and standing up to the Russians and Cuban Missile Crisis and all that kind of thing, a former um, a military guy, you know, he, he was a great guy, you know. And, yeah, at the time, you know, a lot of guys played around. But, you know, it wasn't a big thing. We, nobody delved into people's skeletons in their closets like they started to do sometime back, I guess, in the 80s. I also think, to, not- be, to be fair, Jimmy, I, <laughs> I think you, we, we would probably agree on this. There's a difference between dalliance and stepping out in, in a relationship that obviously is, is, is a sin in, in a number of traditions. Mm-hmm. And and uh, you know a capital crime, for example, or murder, mm-hmm. or uh, you know bigotry, and so forth. The, the, the different levels of of um, of failing, I would think. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Right, right. No, no doubt about it. So I just, you know, I just wanted to put that out there that I think that who, you know, especially upon those who may be more easily led, there's a trickle down effect. Like there was Reagan's trickle down economics. There's trickle down behavior. Uh, of of the country and our moral, morally, socially, uh, emotionally, not to say that everybody's so influenced, but you know it depends upon a lot of factors. So I think to your basic point of you coming on the air with this show, I think it is very important and a key thing that people should look at and not make excuses for um, behavior that's very that we all were taught there's right and wrong. There's certain things you don't do. Jimmy, I appreciate you very much calling in. I, I appreciate your perspective, and I also think it's extraordinary to, to hear from someone who has that arc of a perspective of American politics. It's wonderful. I, my my knowledge, my awareness really goes back to like Camp David agreements, late nineteen seventies, in terms of political awareness in this country. So you have a much larger perspective. We're going to take another text question in a minute. Uh, th- okay. th- thank thank you for for calling in, Jimmy. Rabbi Korf, uh, again, we come up with Jimmy's question around equivalency and the what can be perceived even if even if you don't see it this way or I don't see it this way in a given instance, I think it is easy to see from the outside a, a dynamic of kind of looking the other way when there is real serious 
transgression. So let me let me maybe put the question to you a little bit differently, Rabbi Korf, and then as a as a uh, an advertisement to, to, to all three of you as guests, what we're going to do in a, in a in a moment is switch sides and kind of argue <laughs> the other point of view than you might naturally hold. There's a an ad out, Rabbi Korf, right now by uh, an organization called the Lincoln Project, which are a number of Republican strategists and campaign managers and so forth that have gathered together to oppose uh, Donald Trump. And I generally find a lot of their ads kind of grating. Uh, but there was one recently called Girl in the Mirror, I believe it's called. And I am uh, the father of an eight-year-old girl. And it, it, like every time I watch it, I've seen it maybe four or five times, it tugs at my heartstrings and, and brings tears to my eyes because the basic point is, you know, the, the, the abrasiveness, the, the, the messaging, the bullying, the insulting that comes from the White House, wherever you sit in the political spectrum, is absorbed by children. And in particularly, in particular, as the father of a young girl, there's a particular way that Trump has spoken to women, has spoken to uh, reporters, and, and spoken of women on the national stage from the presidential pulpit that is deeply disturbing. And I think is absorbed by children, even if they don't understand the political, di- political dialogue. Do, do you not feel that as, as a father? Do you not have that, that concern? Is that not enough to, to oppose a candidate, even if they are supporting a, an, a political issue that's very important to us? So if I would be looking at it in the way that Lincoln Project is looking at it, which I didn't see it, but in any event, if I would look at it that way, in an emotional way, you're right. But my, my way in life is usually allowing my intellect to dictate what I think. And intellectually, I say to myself, although I haven't seen uh, President Trump talking to any women disrespectfully since he became president, so I'm not sure what you're referring to, has he spoken to press and to politicians in a very tough way? Yes, but they, dug, they did the same thing to him. And like he always says, he is a uh, he punches back, but regardless of all that, to me, I say to myself, "I'm going to let that one go for the moment." Continue make because we're running out of time. Continue to make your point. Right, I can go. I can go on with that as well. But beside the point, that's not my main point. The main point is we're going to talk logically about about immorality and how that trickle down theory affects the world. I see a president who sat for 20 years listening to a rabid anti semite at church and being willing to make a deal with Iran on the shoulders of Israel and putting Israel in, in danger, far worse immorally than, whatever, than anything that Donald Trump has done. And that, I believe, had a great impact of anti-Semitism in this world and carries forward till this very day. So if you really want to get into a discussion like that, I'm happy to. Okay. But I'm going to talk about it logically, I, not emotionally. I appreciate that. Okay, so let's. we have five minutes left. And what I'd like to do is ask each of you, and, and Daggy Stab, if it's all right, I'll start with you. you I'm going to stylize this, and, and, and correct me if I don't get it exactly right, or, or roughly right, I should say, that you have, from a Buddhist perspective on this show, made the argument that the ends don't justify the means, that the humility matters, that there is a personal journey even within the, the facade of the, the White House, and that personal journey is, is an important element of 
the way we view that 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 person in that position in the in the in the political in the political seat i.e that character does matter if you were to take the opposite point of view from a buddhist perspective could you justify that could you justify as a buddhist for example voting for a candidate that you that you think is is predominantly a bad person based on a policy plank I think it's impossible for a bad person to make sound and wise judgments. I think egotism is the biggest delusion um, and takes one further from, from wisdom. I think if one is operating from a place of, of compassion and egolessness and a desire to serve fellow human beings, that's going to lead to better leadership. And to honor... Uh, uh, I think a, a strong point that, that Rabbi Korsh made earlier is I agree that a, a leader takes care of people. And I think that was the most compelling argument I heard um, you know, in favor of Trump. And I would just you know, qualify that, that who's people? You know, and, that's, and that's where you know, my disagreement lies. I think a good leader takes care of people, all people. Gotcha. I just want to say I agree with you. Let's... Yeah, it's nice to, that, that you found that common ground. Reverend Taylor... I never, I never differed from that. We're going we're gonna to let you close the, uh, the discussion here in a moment, Rabbi. Re- Reverend Taylor, I'm going to, again, stylize that on the, your position, that on this show, you've, you've highlighted the importance of compassion and in, in partly in answer to one of the uh, questioners. Uh, you've talked about... Um, the importance of uh, loving others, even if we disagree. And in a certain sense, I would put you somewhat in Daigi Stab's camp with respect to the important of universal, importance of universalism and the importance of humility in high office. But, but, obviously, many of your evangelical Christian brothers have a different point of view. So if you, were to t- if you were to take the advocacy position, is there a rooting in the Episcopalian or the Christian tradition that could justify take, you know, voting for a, a candidate that doesn't reflect Christian values for a, for a policy plank, for example? I think that there's, yes, I think that there's always the possibility of that. And in, since I think it's important to realize that Trump, when he worships, worships at Episcopal churches, whether it's walking to St. John's or Bethesda-by-the-Sea, where, as Jimmy B. would point out, uh, he is prayed for by name in every Episcopal service. I think when it comes down to it, specifically looking at the evangelical groups, uh, there's a great meme that I saw is that Samson was a violent, womanizing person, but he was God's person for keeping the Philistines at bay. Mm-hmm. And even though the, uh, the evangelicals were like shouting, vote Philistines, they had no idea what would happen if the Philistines took over. Mm-hmm. And I think that the idea is that um, many people would believe that we could take into contrarian position, that God is omnipotent, that God is all con- in control, and that God's will is going to happen regardless of what my vote may be, that uh, if it is God's will for Donald Trump to be president, for Joe Biden to be president, there is nothing that I can do that is going to deflect that. You know, I love that as a closing note. I apologize to Rabbi Korf uh, that we're not, we don't have time to, to say anything else, but let's close with acknowledgement that we're all part of God's plan, that as difficult as this may seem right now, 
this is all part of some divine order. I think we all four of us on this discussion agree with that. God bless. Vote. Get out there on Tuesday and tune in next week on Equal Footing. Thank you, Daigi Stab. Thank you, Rabbi Korf. Thank, Thank you. you, Reverend Taylor. Thank you. Thank you.